When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the Football Digest Euro Special. Uh, I'm Ned Keating. I'm joined today by Alex Richards of the Mirror and uh, Football.London's Alan Smith to look ahead to what is shaping up to be another exciting day at Euro 2020. We've had two days off, two days to recover uh, from England's win over Germany. We've got two games to look forward to uh, today. Belgium versus Italy in the mouthwater in late kickoff. But first up, it's Switzerland against Spain in St. Petersburg. Uh, Alex, I'm going to come to you first. Uh, Spain seem to slowly have found their feet in this tournament after a couple of sluggish performances uh, early on against Sweden and, and Poland. Um, 10 goals in their last two games. Admittedly, they did get to play an extra 30 minutes for that against Croatia. Uh, but the goals really, really seem to be flowing now for Luis Enrique's side. Yeah, certainly. I mean, if we if we look back at those first two games, it wasn't uh, through lack of trying or, or lack of chances that, that they weren't scoring. They just just weren't scoring. It was just the, the finishing was generally poor and, and then they had a a few little issues where you thought to yourselves are they actually defensively that good? I, I think there are still very much defensive questions, but as you say, 10 goals in two games, that's that's breaking Euro's records. And and Luis Enrique seems to to have found his touch with regard to substitutions and making them at the right time and, and getting his team just there to, to win games now. I think I think Sergio Busquets coming back has, has been a big help. He's just that calming presence. He just keeps the ball moving. But I think Alvaro Morata, for all he's much maligned for his goal scoring, he's really been good in every other aspect of his play. He's worked, he's worked for channels. He's held the ball up. His movement's been excellent. It's just adding that finishing touch. It and now you would hope from their point of view that having seen him get that crucial fourth goal against Croatia, the first one in extra time, that he can kick on and give them that finishing touch more regularly now in the coming games. Um, but really, as you say, it, it is for them. I think Luis Enrique had the, the analogy that he was waiting for the cork to pop on the carver, and and certainly that's happened. And now they move into the quarterfinal, and we'll hope that that continues against the Swiss side who of course had their own epic encounter with France on the same night as as Spain's ridiculous game against Croatia. <laughs> um Alan Alex touched in there about Alvaro Morata and his um his his lack of finishing um at this tournament, shall we say. That's saying that obviously Chelsea fans know all too well from his spell um with the club. But from what you remember of him and his time in London, do you think now that, as, as Alex seems kind of hopeful there, that he can go on this run uh, and maybe spearhead uh, Spain's charge in the, in the final stages of this tournament? I I always remember um, being at the game again, away to Stoke when he scored a hat-trick. Um, and he suddenly looked, because he was built up as sort of Diego Costa's replacement, despite being a very, very different player to Costa. Um, and he scored that hat-trick away to Stoke. And suddenly it looks like this player is, you know, he, he is the real deal. And then for whatever reason, it came to sort of, I think maybe November time that season and it just faded. Um, 
and his confidence went and that was it. And there was no kind of, <laughs> there was no way back. Um, and, you know, it is pretty clear. I think, you know, it's been said by, by everybody that's seen him, um, up close that he is the sort of ultimate confidence player and you can kind of see that while he's you know the link of play is good the movement is good and he's still you know importantly getting all those chances when it comes to finishing if he if he misses one early in the game you kind of you can kind of feel that he you know he's aware that everyone is suddenly looking at him and kind of saying you know we expect you to miss the next one now because of this um and i think it you know it is such a psychological thing with him um you know the ability i don't think anyone is really is really questioning that but you know like alex said the, the fact that he's still getting those chances it, it is a big deal um and you know I, I i kind of look at switzerland and i'm still struggling despite the result against france i'm still struggling to believe that they're the real deal um, just because it, it seemed like a one-off and that was a product of France's own issues than, you know, than Swiss brilliance. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm nailing my colleagues to the master early, early on and saying that I, I do reckon Spain will be, uh, will be progressing from this time. Um, just staying with you, Alan, as well. Um, Cesar Rose has come back into the Spain side um, for the last couple of matches and, and that's obviously coincided with a couple of wins for them. Um he, he is a good player, he's a good, solid player. Do you think he's given them that basis, perhaps? You know, Alex mentioned it earlier about a couple of defensive rickets. Yes, they still made that massive error uh, for the own goal um, against Croatia on, on Monday. But do you think that Azpilicueta maybe has allowed them to kind of be a bit more defensively solid and that perhaps has allowed some of those other players further forward to, to really flourish now? Yeah, I do. But I also think there's another factor, factor which is um, experience. Because if you look at that squad, I mean, this is a team, you know, they're playing Pedri in midfield. And you kind of think like, you know, he's he's effectively a child. You know, he's a very inexperienced. And you've got like these, you know, you've got Azpilicueta coming in who's won everything um, in the club game effectively. And he's, you know, a steadying influence. And, you know, everyone at Chelsea speaks about how, you know, his leadership quality, and he's not necessarily the one to sort of, you know, get in a player's face after they make a mistake and, you know, hammer them for it. He's kind of a, he's a bit more gentle than that. Um, and I think it just, you know, that, that sort of spreads and it's infectious across the team. So yeah, he has provided a bit more defensive solidity Again, at the same time, they still conceded three against Croatia, even including that the freak on goal. Um, but yeah, it's more about the sort of you know the steadying influence he's had on the on the sort of younger players further further up the field. Uh, Alex Allen may have written off Switzerland already by the turn to it, but I'm going to come to you to kind of provide uh, the positivity for any Swiss fans that we might have uh, listening on here. I know that big fan of the uh, you're a big fan of the Bundesliga. Obviously, keep a close eye on that, and uh, there's a lot of stars in that. Switzerland side that do play their trade out in Germany. Um, Braylon Bolo's looked impressive, I thought, so far. Obviously, injury uh, injury concerns about him throughout his career, but seems to be uh, seems to be doing the business for Switzerland. And obviously, further back as well, a few other uh, Bundesliga names that that did really well against France. I thought. Yeah, but unfortunately, Ned, as Alan says, I, I can't see Switzerland winning this. Um, I, I think I think the front for France game, the comeback was was, was tremendous. Um, Gavrinovic's equaliser in, in injury time was was he's a player from Frankfurt who he has an eye for goal, not a regular scorer by by any means really, but he's capable of those moments and that was such a brilliant moment and and there was such an I think there was such an outpouring of emotion from them at that time and, and then you saw how together they were before extra time and before the penalty shootout it really is a team that that really you know they are they are very much as one 
Um, but you just have this worry with, with, with when a match goes that, that an underdog in such a way comes through such such a trial and, and wins, and then they have to move on to a next round, and it's another tough game. You do wonder, can they get themselves back up for it again? Is it, is it kind of a case of after the Lord Mayor's show? Um, what I also think absolutely will not be helpful is Granite Xhaka missing, because because as we've touched on with Spain and and, and having leaders like like Cesar Azpilicueta, um, Granite Xhaka is a huge huge leader for this Swiss side. You know, uh, going going back to before the penalty shootout. It was him cajoling. It was him leading the team talk. It was him who gathered all the players around. You saw France going off in in, in separate groups of twos and threes, and, and Paul Pogba was there, his arm around Didier Deschamps' shoulders, and it's like kind of, oh, oh, it's going to be okay. No, the Swiss were all round, all together, huddled, and Granit Xhaka was right in the middle of it, fist pumping, just I wouldn't say demanding of his teammates because it's a penalty shootout. You're not going to demand they all go and score, but but just their cajoling, bringing them together and saying, come on guys, this is our chance. And they're going to miss that now. And, and, and he was, you know, there's been a lot of articles written about Paul Pogba's performance and how good he was in that game. I thought Granite Jacker was outstanding. I thought it was a, a real performance where he really stood up and, and took the ball by the horns. And, and even when they were three, one down, the one thing you can never say about, about him is that he hides no matter the situation. He's always there. He's always present. He's always trying to, drive his team on and to win and and he was really the heartbeat of that performance now he's missing how, how do they how do they deal with that it's a huge blow obviously you mentioned Brilin Bolo there he's had a great tournament he will have to come to the fore again I think they need to get a little bit more from Jordan Shakiri, who has undoubted quality but we, we've seen it in fits and starts didn't really get in, involved that much against the French but going back to the group stage, he was outstanding in that must-win against Turkey. And, and you're looking at Harry Seferovic up front. Again, not a regular goal scorer by any means. He's had a couple of really good individual seasons and then has tailed off. He's been brilliant at this tournament. His goals against France were so well taken that that gives him a chance. But as Alan says, you, you just look at this fixture and you just think it's got to be Spain where, where the two sides are at the moment and where they're heading. Alan, I know we've, we've mentioned that obviously Jack is not going to be playing um, today, but I did want to touch on him briefly. Um, the fact that as a result of his performance on Monday, Andrea Pirlo was trending on Twitter. I'm not sure if you saw that. Um, such was obviously the way that he was playing and, and you know, fans comparing him to prime Pirlo. Um, and it, it does kind of, you know, beg the question. Obviously, you know, a few struggles at Arsenal, the fans don't seem to have taken to him, um, you know, throughout the five years. I think now, isn't it? We've, we've just gone past the anniversary. Um, links with a move to Roma um, this summer. Um, you know, where, where's it gone wrong for him, really, at Arsenal? Obviously, that whole, um, you know, throwing the shirt to the floor and the armband, um, you know, when they, back in, what was it, November 2019, obviously that's probably had a huge impact on it. But are Arsenal guilty of perhaps not deploying him uh, in his best way, in his best position, like maybe perhaps the Swiss have at this tournament? Um, I think that is partially the reason. But I mean, also looking at this tournament, like a wider picture, it's been sort of a tournament where you've seen quite a few players who aren't necessarily, you know, stars of their clubs being stars for their countries. You look at Yarmolenko um, at Ukraine, for instance, he couldn't really get a look in at West Ham. Um, and even a, a less severe example, but Jorginho, it is with, with Italy, has been, I think, one of the best players at this tournament. And, you know, there's, yes, he, he sort of 
you know, his reputation at Chelsea has improved. Um, but if you compare, like, to to his first campaign when he was being booed, when you know, when, when being taken, when being substituted, etc. Um, and yes, his reputation has has improved, but he's still far from a unanimously loved figure there. Um, and you see these players kind of turning up at, you know, for their countries and being these kind of quite dominant forces. Um, and, and it makes me wonder that you know whether international football, which is very different to club football now because it's a bit more, you know, it's not as, it, because the, the, the head coaches don't have as much time in the training ground, um, it, it's a bit more basic, uh, less complex, which, you know, it may come across as being, uh, you know, a criticism of international football, but actually we've seen, I think over the past few weeks, that it, it leads to more fun and more kind of randomness and surprises um, because it's not so pre-programmed. But yeah, the, those players, perhaps international football and style, just suits them a bit better um, where you've got like a little bit more time on the ball pressing isn't as um, intensified um, and it just kind of you know enables them to to play their game in that way um, but where Jacket differs I think is he is you know people made fun of him when he when he joined Arsenal and he had that quote about the key, his parents giving him the keys um, and it kind of, you know, that, that's been used against him. But w- with Switzerland, you see his his leadership qualities, like Alex mentioned. That's, you know, the stuff at the end of that France game where he was the one revving them up. And it's quite interesting. I was reading something, um, albeit through uh, through Google Translate from a, from a Swiss outlet the other day, where, you know, he's been, before the France game, he was being criticised among some other players for, like, not singing the national anthem. They were kind of, you know, there were, I think, far-right polit- politicians having a go because, you know, he's he's not really Swiss because of the uh, his his background. Um, so, yeah, it is... It is a fascinating. I, I find him fascinating as a player and as the sort of stuff around him. Um, and you know, I, I think it's you know it's a complex thing where there are multiple factors at play, um, including Arsenal perhaps not deploying right, but also more than that, the sort of he's ended up in a hole at Arsenal because of the the relationship with supporters, etc. Um, where you know it's been impossible for him to come out of that. And I think you know it, it sounds it sounds quite inevitable that he will be moving on from the summer. I know the Roma stuff is it's not quite sort of as far down the line as people had initially expected. But you know it sounds like it still sounds like they're very keen on making that happen. And he's got interest from several other clubs as well. Um, so yeah, I I would you know ask to predict whether he's played his final game for Arsenal. Or not, I would say he has. Moving on to uh, today's uh, late game, obviously Belgium uh, against Italy, two very, very well fancied sides, um, probably before the start of the tournament, definitely now um, at this stage. Uh, both have impressed uh, so far. Um, obviously Italy coming into this off the back of a, uh, a 2-1 extra time win over Austria, Belgium coming through against uh, Portugal, but Belgium didn't come through that game unscathed, did they? Uh, Alex, obviously doubts about Kevin De Bruyne uh, and even Hazard going into this game. And even though Hazard hasn't, done it in the last couple of years for Madrid he's still a, a world-class player and he's still the kind of player that you want in these big matches yeah absolutely and he gives he gives this team a little bit of that x factor that perhaps they they miss when he isn't there um we saw at the world cup um I, th- I think in particular the game against Brazil in the quarterfinal he really took that game by the scruff of the net when he's when they needed him to drag them up the pitch to to get the ball and to relieve pressure he was absolutely outstanding um 
okay, he's coming to this tournament on the back of a lot of injuries and, and he's not anywhere near his top form, but he still does that job for him. He still is the guy that they can give him the ball under pressure and he can turn a man and he can open up again. Um, we haven't seen it as frequently so far, but there was a sense that he was building towards getting back to something like proper fitness and and to his sharpest and just in time for these these crucial games. So if he can't play, it's a, it's a, it's a big blow. Certainly if Kevin De Bruyne isn't 100% or, or isn't able to go, then then that is again a massive blow because, you know, we all know how good he is. We all know how important he is. And, and this is a game where Roberto Martinez knows there's, there's very little room for error because it's a very good Italy side. Um, we obviously saw Belgium against Portugal. They were second best for large, large parts. Um, but the impressive thing in my opinion, was they found a different way to win. You know, we all think of Belgium as this, as this free-flowing side built around attack. This was a, a really gritty performance, a, a real... Um, their game management w- was excellent. When they needed to dig in, they dug in. When they, when they needed to foul, they made fouls. They were unashamed about it. They, they turned the game They turned the game into a real a niggle fest in the second half, and, and they, they just didn't care because, as, as Jan Vertonghen has said, um, this tournament is about winning. They they came out of the World Cup with a lot of plaudits for, for getting to the semi-finals, for finishing third. But for the players, it, it was about they were probably a better team than France in the semi-final. But they didn't know how to win. France knew how to win, so so that game ended up going to the French, and the French went on and, and took the trophy, of course. Now this Belgian team, they're all very experienced. You know, you look at the three who played at the back the other night. A collective age of over a hundred. Um, this is their last chance. This is, this is the golden generation's last chance to get silverware, and they are desperate to do so. Can they do that in Munich tonight without possibly Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne? It's going to be extremely tough. But but this is it for them. They they have to win. There's there's no going back. This is this is what they've been working towards for three, four, five, six years as a collective group. Some of them even longer. Um, so while we look at it and we say that is definitely a huge blow it's just something they've got to get on with uh, Alan something that I always find um, funny about Belgium is when you look at the kind of makeup of the team and the starting eleven uh, in particular um, obviously you know Roberto Martinez has, has favoured the three-five-two formation throughout his time with Belgium um, on the right side they've always got you know an attacking right back in either Thomas Mounier or Timothy Castagne but left wing back is something I've always found bizarre. And I don't know whether or not this might be something that Italy looks to try and exploit tonight. It's always an out and out winger that you seem to have on that side rather than someone who's particularly defensive minded. You know, as a Spurs fan, Nasser Chadley never really did much tracking back from what I can remember. He's played there at times. Torgan Hazard's played there as well. Yannick Carrasco. Um, it seems weird when you see that starting 11 and you see one of those really attack money players playing there at wing back, but it seems to be working for Belgium so far. Um, and, and they'll probably look to try and exploit that tonight. Obviously, Torgan Hazard played well against Portugal and, and he'll probably keep the starting berth. Yeah. Is that not a product of, you know, the vast majority of the games they play, they are up against, you know, they're, they're heavy favourites, they dominate possession. Um, whereas I think, you know, once they come up against uh, another one of the kind of, you know, the continent's big hitters, that changes quite a bit. So I reckon, yeah, I mean, if, if you're Mancini, you're probably looking at that and you're thinking, okay, that is one possible possible area um, we can exploit. I, I actually think Hazard's been really good. Uh, if, if, you know, obviously people will focus on the goal against Portugal, but, you know, in general, from, from what I've seen from him in this tournament, he has been, he has been, well, 
not a you know not a big stretch, but he's been the better Hazard. Um, yes, uh, seeing as you know, well, Eden hasn't been uh, exactly firing or fully fit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I kind of look at you know if you put if you look at both squads on paper. I don't think there's much doubt who the uh, you know the, the more talented group of players you know which which group of players are more talented. But I then look at Italy and I've I watched I was at Wembley on Saturday for their game against um, against Austria and they they just look like a team where no matter the eleven that are on the pitch, everyone knows what the role is um, and they you know it's it's such a it's a cliche thing to say, but you know the whole thing about some of their parts. They are above all, I think, the team in this tournament who have kind of come together, and they just look like a you know a, a machine where every single part is is functioning. Um, and I, I do wonder if that will give them an advantage against Belgium tonight. Even though, in terms of individual quality, you know, people will obviously say Belgium have a significant uh, chunk more. Um, Alex, in terms of Italy, uh, obviously they're their first tournament since uh, 2016, missed out on the World Cup in 2018, seems to have been rebooted under the rather stylish Mancini playing a rather stylish uh, play, uh, style of football as well. Um, how impressed have you been with, with Italy uh, so far this tournament? Obviously, you know, they, they smashed the group stages. They did need extra time against Austria, but they never really looked in too much trouble against them. No, um, and certainly in the group stage, hugely impressive. Um I think many people thought coming into the tournament that they were a good team. I don't think anyone really had them down as winners. And that's despite the fact that, you know, going into the Austria game, it was, it was however over a thousand minutes without conceding a goal. They're on a, a 30 plus match unbeaten run at the moment, but I don't think anyone was really tipping them to be there. I think, it, you know, it was France, it was Belgium, it was England, it was Germany. Um, who, who were the favourites and, and then Italy were kind of okay you know semi-final might be good or or you know they, they lose to one of the better teams in the quarterfinals but as you say they've, they've been absolutely huge they've really stood up through this tournament um, as Alan says there's such a, a togetherness about them and I think that comes from Mancini um, himself and, and his past experiences you know he, he's been very vocal previously about going to tournaments and not seeing any action and, and not feeling a part of it when he was a player now he is actively you know everybody is there you are, you are all one we, we saw in the, in the game against Wales bringing on Salvatore Sirigu late in the game um, it's, just, it's just a little thing but it Obviously, it's going to mean so much to Sirigu and, and, and to all the players with a, a, a veteran player there who is obviously well-liked and, and obviously a key member of the, of the squad. Um, now, you know, now they need those moments of, of real individual quality and they need those, they need their better players in attack to really step up. I'm looking at Lorenzo Insigne. He's a match winner, but can he deliver in this game? I think a big one um, perhaps is, you know, we've touched on Torgan Hazard playing at left wing back. If Federico Chiesa is up against him, I don't fancy Hazard defensively much. And, and Chiesa's got the sort of the sort of um, pace and just raw physicality to, to cause all sorts of problems down there. So, so I think that's very much an option that perhaps um, Mancini, Viali and the Italy staff will look at. Uh, as you say, they, they toiled against Austria somewhat last time out, but they got the job done in the end. And as as we mentioned with with Belgium, that's all it's about now. It's about getting the job done by by hook or by crook. And if we know anything about the likes of Giorgio Chiellini, Leonardo Bonucci, Jorginho, Marco Verratti, they don't really care how they get the job done. 
if, if it's there to be done, they'll do it no matter no matter what way they possibly can. So I think that we look at this game and 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 we really say that if Italy get the first goal, it could be a very very difficult night for Belgium. If Belgium get the first goal, Italy have to come out. They they have to really push on and attack more. We've seen them as an attacking force, but they they do remain built around having a good defence and and being very hard to beat. It's going to be fascinating to see just just how adventurous both sides are from the outset, and who who can then adapt to the game. Um, if you if you're going to push my prediction, then I'm going to try and sit on the fence <laughs> because it, because it's it's such a, a difficult one for to call. I think, um, and, and I think that until we know this Belgium starting lineup, you know, it is Kevin De Bruyne there. How much can they get from Eden Hazard? It's really one that you know. If if you're looking at this this very moment, you, you do have to think it could well be Italy's night. Alan, if Italy were to go uh, all the way, that would be a hell of a summer for Jorginho, wouldn't it? To obviously start off by winning the Champions League with Chelsea, to then go on and do the Euros, um, he'd return to Thomas Tuchel's side in August, about ten foot tall, wouldn't he? Yeah, and I think you, well, you you could say the same about obviously as Pilaquet at Spain, uh, the England players as well. Um, is there anyone else I'm forgetting about? Uh, no, because Ger- Germany and France are Germany and France are gone, so they those players are ruled out. Um, yeah, it would be. And I was, I was trying to look the other day to see like how many previous example, you know, what precedent there is for players winning the Champions League and and the Euros in the same summer. And I think there was something like I think maybe three or four in the past ever. Um, it, it's it's in single digits anyway um, so yeah it would be and like I touched on a, a few minutes ago the fact he is sort of that maligned presence and he, he has grown I think under Tuchel in particular he has sort of stepped up another level but you still get like some Chelsea supporters who consider him too passive he'll just pass it backwards or sideways there isn't enough sort of penetration in his, in his passing whatever um, when I think when you if you're watching Italy he's far more on the front foot he, he's a lot more dynamic um, and I, I do wonder why that is is it down to like we mentioned a while ago like the difference in, in international football or is there is there something else to it um, because it is it, it kind of feels a bit like Sarri ball but actually working as it was intended um, watching Italy in terms of like the that's you know it's a midfield three set up in a very similar way um, where, you know there are some like slight differences but ultimately that's what you know Chelsea when Jorginho signed for Chelsea three years ago that's what they were expecting from him um, and I think you're beginning to see him do that now uh, for Italy which which obviously means very little if Chelsea are going to continue with a sort of a, a three-man defence uh, next season um, and took on system which has you know effectively two, two central midfielders um, but yeah, I have found that quite interesting about Jorginho in the past three weeks or so. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, again, I, I kind of agree with Alex that it's an, it's a game that's impossible to call. But I do find that in these situations, it's more the unit. Um, I would give the unit of Italy uh, a very, very slight advantage over um, Belgium's sort of individuals. Um, yeah. Gents, I can't let you go um, today without you know looking ahead to, to tomorrow's match I'm not sure if you're aware England have a quarter final not sure if you've missed all the coverage um, but, but talking of the coverage Alan um, want to come to yourself as, a, as an Irishman living in England um, what have you made of the you know public's reaction and also the press's reaction to that to victory over Germany you know we're, we're pretty much penciling in or have been penciling in England for a final looking at the route um, 
is complacency something that could creep into the England squad potentially if they if they start reading all those headlines? Uh, well, I shouldn't pass up the opportunity to say I'm utterly delighted for Jack Grealish and Declan Rice uh, <laughs> success. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I was like on Tuesday evening, I was kind of sitting there at Wembley, and there were times where, despite not having any skin in the game whatsoever, I, you know, it was it was impossible not to get wrapped up in in the emotion of it all. And I think that is that is actually a concern maybe um, ahead of tomorrow's game because you know that was such. You know those those few moments when you know celebrating both goals and the few minutes at, ha- at full time, the emotion of that has to have taken its toll. Um, and I, you know, I wonder if obviously Southgate will have been even in his press conference afterwards. He was you know talking about this being a dangerous position because we now need to kind of keep our feet on the ground, come back you know come back on Saturday, and it, that was at a point where he still didn't know whether it would be Sweden or Ukraine, but. You know, I think that that is the the number one uh, concern if I'm if I'm an England fan, uh, and it's not necessarily a, an underestimating Ukraine thing. It's more the ability to kind of get yourself back up to that level uh, within within four days. And uh, on the basis of that, I do wonder if he'll make a couple of changes. If he'll bring uh, Mason Mount back in, like Mount, we've sort of seen from him continuously at Chelsea that he he's not a player to be sort of phased by those sort of big, big occasions. And he's he, I use this word sort of in the best meaning sense, but it, it's almost robotic in that he kind of he understands the game. He comes in, he just does it, and it's it's not sort of a his game doesn't seem to be sort of you know impacted too greatly by by the emotion and the chaos um, around him. So I reckon, yeah, I, I think once he is fully sharp and has looked good in training the past couple of days I would expect him to, to come back in um, and I do still have a sneaky suspicion that Jack Grealish won't start um, mostly because I feel like Southgate has seen his impact off the bench and coming on in tight games with 20 minutes to go his sort of trickery and those fresh legs uh, will will really kind of you know maximise his opportunity to uh, to do damage um, so yeah and I mean I, I I can't see Ukraine winning, uh, despite what I've just said about you know the emotional toll, etc. And yeah, as someone who isn't, who isn't English, and obviously is trying to is still kind of views it from a from an outsider's perspective. Um, I do actually, I, I would quite like to see England go all the way. Um, yeah, which is which I'm sure will go down well with anyone Irish watching this. <laughs> Um, Alex, the, the big story from the England camp overnight, um, obviously Jadon Sancho's uh, moves to Man United being confirmed in principle, uh, you know, all the formalities like contracts and, and a medical to be uh, completed afterwards. Um, it, it, it's a bit of an unusual step, isn't it, to, to have, obviously it's not the, the, the ice that will have to be dotted, the T's that will have to be crossed, but for, for a deal to be announced for a player during a tournament isn't something that we've seen of too much. Um, but for Sancho, at least it gives him clarity, he kind of knows now you know, he probably did no problem quite a lot before the start of the tournament where his future was going to be. But he, he knows for certain now that he, he's going to be a Man United player uh, come the start of next season. And that probably gives him a bit more, allows him to relax perhaps a little bit around the England camp. Yeah, certainly. And it's, it's certainly something that's going to help him just to be more settled. He's obviously known for quite some time that this is the move he wanted to make, that he that he wanted to go to Old Trafford. And I think it, I think it didn't really matter whether this was announced you know, yesterday, whether they waited till the end of the tournament, his focus has very much been on 
uh, that's my next move. That's where that's where I want to go. Um, you know, being around the likes of Marcus Rashford, Harry Maguire, players he's going to be going to play with now on a regular basis has probably helped. You know, just just little chats of yeah, I'll be coming. You know, it's going to be great. That sort of thing. Um, the disappointing thing for Sancho has obviously been that he hasn't played very often in the tournament. He hasn't really been called upon. He hasn't been one of Southgate's go-to guys. Um, whether that changes now, I, I, I wouldn't think it will have any difference because his move has been completed. Um, but as you say, it's going, to, it's going to make him feel a little bit more settled. It's, it's, it's. I think it's not really, you know, that important to England as a whole that that the deal has gone through, but to him, it just gives him a little bit of peace of mind that, okay, cool, job's done and, and I'm getting what I want. Um, I think it'd be a very different situation, you know, had had this move not been bubbling under for the last 12, 18 months and, and had it just sprung up, you know, Monday and, and then suddenly it was done yesterday. I think that'd be a very different different case and, and obviously we don't see a lot of those kind of things because players actively want to just focus on the tournament and they can sort their futures afterwards but this is obviously a little bit special a huge move for him very big money that United are spending but given his goal record given what we've seen from him in the Bundesliga you're hard pressed to say that it's, it's going to not work out because he's he's an unbelievably talented footballer and he gives them something that that they've been lacking because they have had a problem finding someone to play on that right side. Um, we've seen Marcus Rashford attempt it. He's not really comfortable there. We've seen Daniel James do it, but he really prefers to play on the left also. But Sancho, it, it, he's very much at home playing on the right and he gives them pace, directness, trickery, a proper goal threat, and, and he also does more than his fair share of assisting others. So I think it's a very good deal for United. It's a very good deal for Sancho. And and hopefully, if he gets a few minutes against Ukraine at the weekend, makes the most of him. Uh, Alex, Alan, uh, thanks for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, thanks as well for listening along, uh, guys. Um, sure to be another busy day at Euro 2020. Uh, and we'll be back tomorrow to digest all of the action once again.